Did I break it? Okay. All right. I'm not going to break this. Just keep swinging back into me. All right. Um, <clears throat> thank you, church family. Uh, this one? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you, really, for uh, the short amount of time that we've been here. Uh, you all have been very welcoming uh, to complete strangers. I mean, really, we are, we are, for lack of better purposes, we are strangers. I mean, we're uh, kindred in the spirit, but I just want to say thank you for making us feel comfortable. Um, and, you know, I, I can be kind of a rigid individual just by way of personality as a trait, I guess, that was developed in banking, so I'm sorry. But uh, with that being said, is um, we're very grateful to be here. You know, it's said that a church family takes on part of the persona of the pastor's and pastor's wife, and I believe that's very true. And I just, I, I love it here. <laughs> Uh, mainly because um, uh, because of your pastor and his wife. Amen. It was uh, probably a, a year ago that we met in Somerville, Oregon, and uh, immediately they started just ministering to our souls. <laughs> and uh, especially my wife and and me, uh, we just just resonated. There's certain people that you meet just right off the bat that the uh, if I can get through this, I appreciate your patience. The Lord just lays upon your heart and just it just sticks and you can't get rid of it. And not that I ever wanted to, but I'm very appreciative of the Lynn family. Um, uh, they've always been in our hearts or prayers ever since uh, we met them. Uh, they don't know that, but I mean, we think a lot of them. We've talked a lot about about them behind their backs on the road, uh, not in a good way, in a really good way. And we've been looking forward to to this week for a year. And uh, it's pretty awesome uh, to get under to on deputation as we travel the country to be able to sit under men of godly influence um, who have influenced men for the ages. And I'm talking about like the, the likes of, of, uh, of men as like Paul Chappell, Dave Hardy, Sam Davison, Kenny Baldwin, Dave, David Gibbs Jr., um, Kerry Nance, uh, people from all over this country, from Florida to Washington State and everywhere in between, from Arizona to the Ohio Valley. Uh, we've been in front of um, what I would call mighty men of the faith here in our country, and I'm very grateful for the privilege that we've been able to be under um, them uh, for even if it's a short amount of time like we've had here, or if it's been a week or weeks. And uh, my wife and I have really gleaned uh, from these individuals, but uh, it's been the Lynn family that is, um, uh, it's been more intimate, I think, more than anything else, and in such a good way that it's impacted our life and our family's life. I'm just very grateful for the Lord for that. There's a verse in Scripture that says, uh, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he moves the rivers of water whithersoever he will. Speaking of God's control, and as children of Christ, as the Holy Spirit resides inside of us as a temple for the Holy Spirit. And, and at times the Lord has, you know, I'd, say, I'd like to say majority of the time, God has, and he does actually all the time. Let me correct myself. 
uh, my heart in his hand. And some of the times, though, he squeezes it a little bit, and like a sponge, liquid fluid comes out, okay? And that's the rivers of water, if you could, if I could say it like that. No, but seriously, uh, I do appreciate your patience. Uh, as we've been on the road for uh, about a, a year and some months, uh, now maybe three months, I think 15 months total, is that right? 14, something like that. Uh, we're, we've been on the road long enough to start to lose track, but... Uh, with that being said, we're about 80% before we're able to reach our 100% goal to go into Kansas City area of Leewood, Kansas. Uh, a saying which I've kind of just kept near and dear to me is one that was given to a pa- from a pastor friend of mine. And it says to lift him up and to preach his name and to invite souls to love him and to follow him is the highest heavenliest privilege of human life. And it's so very true. Uh, you recall when Christ saved you, uh, from the eternal separation of Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ. And and you remember how profound of a moment that was for you. And you know the impact. And so how much more uh, should there be an impression put upon you as a responsibility, as an ambassador to carry forth the ministry of reconciliation and telling other people about Jesus Christ. And that's not a preacher's responsibility. It's not a missionary's responsibility. It's not a deacon's responsibility. It's not a teacher's responsibility. Every single soul that sits before me and hears my voice, it is your responsibility to share Jesus Christ with people whom you love, whom you connect with, whom you live around, uh, this community and communities abroad. And so when you get to meet missionaries, they, they carry that same impression that Jesus Christ has laid upon their heart, like a, like a thumbprint, if you will, and they get to go before people whom you don't get to go before. And as you know, you know, for those who are church for any length of time, you understand that you get to be a part of the Great Commission that way. And let me say, from a banking standpoint, if I could just put it in layman's turn, I think one of the greatest investments, first of all, the the greatest investment that a person could ever make in someone else's life is time, okay? Whether you're an adult or whether you're a child, it's it's time. Uh, Second, underneath this umbrella is eternal investments. And that is taking the resources in which God has given you and turn around and give it back. I was talking with the kids today when Jesus Christ was speaking to Peter and he gave him instructions to uh, pay the tribute, pay the tax, if you will. And he went in and he went and he, Jesus Christ told Peter to go. He told him to, to cast out a hook and to, and to take up. And he brings up this fish and I've been fishing all my life and I've never seen money inside of a fish before. But, and I bet Peter didn't have the same experience up until that time. But it's just a provision of the Lord in which he has given to each and every single one of us, whether it be physically or spiritually, but it's our duty and responsibility to take that forth um, where you cannot, where I cannot. So to me, one of the greatest investments are eternal investments. Investments in which you can take the resources which God has given you and put it in a place where you cannot personally be. But then it become multiplied or duplicated. See, so a lot of the times in foreign missions, we, we um, get a, a good report of, a, of an end road. They're, they're teaching disciples to... to I guess, to go and church plant. Here in, the, here in the United States, the focus has been so much out, 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 that we've neglected our homeland. So to, uh, to sit back and play an armchair quarterback or to be a part of um, the comfortability that we have, I've been so blessed with, really. 
and knowing all the things in which God has given me and just to, to sit there and knowing that I shoulda, woulda, coulda, it didn't sit really well with me personally. I grew up in a Baptist church. It doesn't mean anything, quite frankly. It's not my parents' religion. It's mine. I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, what somebody had said earlier, I believe in the Bible. It's the Bible that makes me Baptist. And from how I understand how it works is that you develop your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't base your own religion, your own profession on Christ based upon somebody else's beliefs. And so with that being said, there was a point in time in my life where I completely stepped away from the Word of God, from the will of God, and I paid for that. But as uh, God does to so many of us, or has, He's kept His arms open waiting for us, and, and He met me, and uh, He used the small steps of faith in my life to uh, grow me and to grow my family. And as we've taken small steps towards Him, God blessed that, and we saw an impact uh, that has resonated for all of eternity. We've seen, uh, as we've ministered together for the last 15 plus years inside of the local church, we've seen people saved and discipled and baptized, and we even got to be a part of uh, growing a, a dying church into a, a church that was about ready to call their own pastor, but had made um, some really poor, uh, if I could say it away from the pulpit, some stupid decisions, and it cost them. Uh, it cost them. They closed their doors for the very last time three years ago. It was an independent Baptist church in the mid-50s, clear up to three years ago. And this is this shouldn't be shocking because this is a, a theme all across the country. What is it, 3,500 to 4,000 church doors close annually? 800 of them are, about, are Baptists? And if it takes on average, this is according to three uh, mission boards, they're saying five to eight years for a Baptist church to become autonomous. I know the, the hand of the Lord can be on a church to grow it sooner than that. But that's the average in the United States. That's a really big revolving door. Um, God used a, um, pressed Ezekiel 3 upon my heart and my life uh, to surrender over to this idea of full-time ministry uh, when I was a banker, just kind of growing up through the ranks, if I will, if you will. And as I was uh, being faithful in the corporate life, God was explaining, expanding and broadening my platform. And then uh, I went into, well, I guess ministry, and he did the same thing there as we committed. And we saw as we were teaching uh, teenagers and then college and career age and then baby boomer age, if I can say it like that, to international class where there's people from different countries. And that was over the course you know, of, of 10 years, 12 years, God was using these areas of our life to really minister to our hearts. I was a two-term deacon. I was, every time the doors were open, we were there. And then there came this time in 2014 where we're sitting inside of a missions conference and God had already been working on our heart for you know a couple of years internally, just keeping things private, where it was time to make it public. And so when we did, we talked to our pastor about it. And as you saw in the video, uh, the Holy Spirit used a vision that was placed in his heart 12 years prior and then in my heart and brought these two together, like dovetailing. And it was really amazing to see uh, the Lord's leading in this. The only reason why we know there was leading it is because there was peace prior to a decision and peace afterwards. And so we've been just been following this, and it's been leading up to this place called Leewood, Kansas. Now, Kansas City, you probably know, is known for its origin of jazz and its steaks and its barbecue and sporting venues and all these other things. And logistically, in the United States, it's the hub. It's the heartland. And we are. We're just like you would want your own personal financial portfolio to be diversified to get as much yield as you possibly can. Corporations all across the United States are doing the same thing, but uh, their portfolio is people. And so what they do, they diversify. They'll grab people from South Korea. 
grab people from from other parts of Asia, from Australia, from uh, Europe, and then you get an all big giant collective group all kind of huddled up into this little mass of two and a half million people. And Ezekiel 3 is speaking about a calling um, that Ezekiel had in his life. I thought it was my calling to be a missionary to, to Israel. Through much prayer and counsel and just being patient and waiting on the Lord, uh, I completed a, a four-year degree in three at Kansas State University, graduated in business management and also another degree in leadership studies. I uh, did uh, the Lord years later show me that it was really a calling to my own people. And so we committed to, to church planning efforts. And this may seem all over the place, this story, but when we were prepping to go and survey, and while we were there, uh, we, were, we met some uh, Jewish folks. And come to find out that uh, of the two and a half million, the highest concentration of Jewish population of Kansas City is in Leewood, Kansas. There's four synagogues there. I don't know if the Lord is going to do anything with that, but He might. As we've been traversing throughout the country, we've met some, you know, a couple handful of Messianic Jews, and uh, it's just been really encouraging to see uh, what potentially could happen. Pastors from all over the country are saying, "Hey, please um, get in touch with so and so, and this person over here," or they're calling me or emailing me saying, "Hey, we have families moving to the area." And we're seeing right before our very eyes, and we're not even there yet. We're seeing a, a collective gathering of people. This is a brand new start. No one's there waiting for us. We're just going to go arm in arm with our church, just like the book of Acts uh, has, has laid out for us. Um, there is part of our strategy. Uh, we've worked with what I would call in the business world with consultants who have been doing this since the early 80s, planting Baptist churches all over the United States and also overseas. And with their advice and some of their help and some of their resources, uh, they have a 92% success rate with independent Baptist churches being planted and continuing. And so we thought, you know, using their knowledge and experience and through leading of the Lord and, and you know, the, the authority of the local church, uh, our pastor, he's like, yeah, let's partner with them, let's do that. And so we see, again, the Lord just building this team, preparing us to do some something great. We have a place where we're going to go. Um, it's um, maybe not the most ideal. Uh, however, space is limited in the in the area in which we're going. I almost talked myself out of it a couple times. Just going to be honest with you. Okay? Um, I, I kind of have an idea of uh, the personality that the certain type or demographic of people who they are there. And you would say that they're really hard. Before we move on, I want to say this. Um, someone said, how can you, why would you want to go into a place like that when there's, um, there's people... They're more needy people. They said poor. I don't want to put that, put them in a box like that. And and I almost started to justify the reasoning, but I took a step back and I thought, uh, why not? Maybe that's why they have never had a King James Baptist church there. Maybe that's why they've never really had the truths being preached or teached there. Is because no one went in, or if they ever did, it didn't. It didn't stick. But what if what if we did make that decision consciously? Oh well, you know they have too much wealth. They they don't need the Bible. Would would in my own power, my own strength, my own reasoning, my own decisioning be shortening God's arm? 
I mean, clearly I can't shorten God's arm. God's powerful, right? He's Almighty God. Someone said, well, how hard can a rich man enter in the kingdom of heaven? It's like putting a camel through the eye of a needle. You know, right, a- right after that, right after that, it was interesting to note uh, that in the next chapter, Zacchaeus was a rich man, and he was saved. And then if you look at the occupation of all the disciples, the 12 disciples that were around Jesus Christ, uh, some were business owners. And out of the scriptures in which we're going to read, there was an author named Matthew, and he was a tax collector, a publican. And they are very wealthy. Knowing his friends, Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus, and others, I knew that God could do what he said in the scriptures, right in that same story, the impossible. See, in of ourselves, clearly there dwelleth no good thing, but I can't go and plant a church. Our church family back home in Topeka, Kansas, they cannot just go and plant a church in of themselves. They can't do it. We, we have to have the power of God in, upon us, resting upon us, to be able to do something for His cause, and He's going to do it through us. We're not going to do the work. We're just willing and able vessels. We're just willing to be used of God to do work. Does that make sense? Uh, you've, I'm probably preaching to the choir because you're here. But you didn't... How 15 years ago or less? 10. But 15 years ago, you weren't here. See, now imagine what another 10 will look like. If you continue to pursue faithfully after the things of the Lord and what He'll do with yielded servants. Following the leadership of the under-shepherd that the shepherd ordained for you. We've seen, we, we know and understand that there's layers of protection, hedges of protection. And, and we all have to follow them. I mean, most of us have a driver's license, so we have to follow the government standards. But Jesus Christ has a standard. He said, I'm the shepherd. And he ordains, he gives under shepherds to churches to follow their leadership because he's, he's spending the most time with Jesus Christ. He's receiving these messages from him personally and, and collectively gathering a vision for Jesus Christ's people. We've never seen and throughout Scripture that a church pull themselves out from under the authority of the under-shepherd to go do their own thing and be blessed. It's always been the under-shepherd removing themselves away, them following after Jesus Christ, and they are blessed. I, would, I just want to encourage you as a church family to continue to move forward by faith. And God is going to bless it, even the smallest, the smallest. I just for the sake of time, I'm just going to, if that's all right, just go into the, into the message, if you don't mind. And so if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you did, because it wouldn't it be funny if a carpenter went to work without his hammer? I mean, that would be kind of funny, right? Or a banker go to the bank without his pen? So I hope that you brought your Bible with you um, and open that up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17 is where we'll start. Um, I uh, am a crazy country kid from Kansas. I grew up out in the sticks. 
for, and graduated from high school and then uh, went into the real world. I tried to play baseball at a university to walk on. I got some scholarships for JUCOs, scratched those, went and uh, fell flat on my face. Then I went into work full time. And then I got into banking and, uh, you know, climbed, climbed the ladder. Not to, for that sake alone, climbed the ladder. Okay? But uh, the Lord was just blessing it. And got to a point to where I was about ready to, um, well, I was recruited three years ago, four years ago, uh, to be trained underneath the president of the regional bank there uh, to take his chair. And through that succession plan, things were being put into place, and it was great. Uh, it'd be, it's, it's still a great job to have. Um, but I knew that that wasn't the end all. Um, I knew that, that there was something that was greater. I knew that there were spiritual investments to be had. And, and even I knew that God could use a speck like me. If I, just, uh, if I just asked him to and kept myself willing and just followed, just being obedient. Uh, I promise you, I'm no one special standing before you. Uh, I just greatly appreciate how the Lord uses um, people for his glory. And if you could just help me out and make me feel a little bit more comfortable, if you don't mind me doing this, and if you're physically able to, would you please stand for the reading of honoring God's word? I sure would appreciate that. Matthew 17 and verse 14, it says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, I have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often to water, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, now let me preface before, he sa- before I read this statement. I, I love Jesus Christ. And um, I know he loves me. And all throughout scriptures, we always, we always read him uh, some of the times to be very uh, soft-spoken, you know, concrete, uh, very truthful, and, and direct. And some of the times the disciples said, I can't, I can't understand your sayings, you know, the dark sayings. Because some of the times he had to talk around them or he's talking about the future things in which they couldn't know. And in his time it was revealed. But here this is a different demeanor, a different tone of voice. Uh, this is something where um, he's very bullet pointed. Have you ever spoke to somebody who just kind of took you right to the tree? <laughs> they just spoke right to your heart and and they and they spoke so much truth that it didn't hurt but it kind of hurt but you knew that it should hurt because of where you were at in position in relation to him so this is what he says he goes oh faithless and perverse generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i suffer you bring him hither to me and jesus rebuked the devil and departed out from him and the child was cured from that very hour and then came the disciples to jesus apart and said Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for loving me. Lord, I thank you, God, for loving the people, Lord, here before me. And I pray, God, that you would use your truth, Lord, tonight to penetrate their hearts and minds. Lord, they could be weary from the week, Lord. It's already been a great service, Lord, this morning and and this evening and song and praise and worship. Lord, as we've congregated uh, together, uh, Lord, out of obedience of your word, Lord, you said that this is your house of prayer. This is your house of worship. 
And Lord, as you said, where two or more are gathered together, there am I in the midst. And Lord, as you are here tonight, we ask God that you would reveal yourself through the teaching and preaching of your word. Lord, hide me behind the cross of Calvary, Lord. Lord, let me not to say anything that you don't want me to say, but only what it is that you'd have me to say. Lord, help us not just to be hearers of thy word, but doers also. Lord, I love you and I thank you for what you're about ready to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in the reading of honoring God's word. There's a song, if I can uh, read it fairly quickly. It says, in the harvest field now ripen, there's a work for all to do. The voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. Are you laid aside from service, body worn from toil and care? You can still be in the battle in the sacred place of prayer. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. Little is much when God is in it. And labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. I I don't know... Uh, if the uh, disciples fully grasp that, understand it at one point in time. Here in chapter 17, oh, thank you very much. In, in chapter 17, uh, there is this really big, giant mountaintop experience. You would say maybe a, a God moment. Certainly it was. But have you ever been in, in your life, you've seen a prayer answered, or you've been in a situation, and you just kind of stood back and just stood still and knew that He was God, or you just stood in awe? You're just amazed by his, his grandeur, his glory, his uh, omnipotence, his omnipresence, just his, of who God is. He's very real to you in that moment. Well, the three closest to him, Peter, James, and John, had that moment. Uh, some of the theologians, they called the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. All three showed up on the scene, and they brought their friends with them. They brought Moses and Elias, and, and they all met up on the Mount of, what we would know, the Mount of Transfiguration. And there, Peter, and if you can relate to Peter, I know I certainly can, because often, if I haven't done it already, I will, open my mouth and insert foot, right? But his intentions were really good here. He really wanted to recognize the people who were before him, because, I mean, it was the lawgiver, it was Moses, who was really, you know, the, who the Jews really admired. And mind you, that's who the author is. He's a Jew writing, writing to Jews, and he's also writing to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now here we have this gentleman, Matthew, who's writing, and, and he's talking and giving an account of Peter, who's wanting to make a memorial for Jesus and Moses and Elias, but then God comes in with an audible voice. And isn't it cool how this happens? I, I love it, because I always want this. Have you ever wanted God just to speak audibly to you? And just say, like, Lord, will you please just give me the direction? Would you just tell me? I just want to hear your voice. Well, we all want that, and that actually happened. You know, they were standing up. They probably should have been down on their face to begin with in front of Jesus Christ when his, his figure had changed. But, but fast forwarding a little bit, they had to come back down this mountain. Christian life, there's going to be mountaintop experiences, and then there's going to be valleys. It said in the very beginning, it said it, uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 17, and they, John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain. And then it says in the verse 9, It says, and they came down from the mountain. And they're learning and they're teaching, they're growing, and that is just like the valley. As you understand, as you're here in a valley, you understand the ground is more fertile, 
Uh, well, at least in Kansas it is, right? Kansas is known for its farm ground, and it's known for it being very flat, okay? You watch your dog run away for a couple days out there. It's that flat. So there in this valley, it's a little cooler, okay? Sometimes in the shadow of the mountains, it's dark, and, and you understand that these seeds, when they get planted, they, they plant easily in fertile soil. But what must a seed do to germinate, to, to grow? It must first die to itself, right? So that's what happened to the Christian, is when they received Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior, they had to die to themselves first, that Jesus Christ had to enter in and you become alive. Apostle Paul said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things became new. He became a new creature. And so did you and I when we received Christ, but that doesn't mean that we go, you know, mountaintop experience 24-7. There's valleys that go along with it. And though it may be dark and cool and rough and fertile and we're being cultivated in, inside of our Christian experiences in life, <clears throat> be moldable. Allow yourself to go through that. All while knowing that God is doing something great in your life because the seed has already died and now is starting to take root. And as it takes root, it grows a shoot. And so as you're feasting on the manna from heaven, as you're in the daily bread, as you're reading God's word every single day, you're growing and you're showing. Because, you know, as well as I do, every time something grows, you take note of that. And so do the people around you, especially if they don't know Jesus Christ. But all the while you're growing up, you're also getting rooted in God's word and the truth. So little things can't divert you from the truth. People are always worried, well, what if a wolf comes in or what if a false teaching comes into the church? What if this happens? Well, as long as the truth is being preached, uh, the truth prevails every single time. It'll filter out the the, the draft. Anyways, that's another message. But here we have this um, top three, if I could say it like that, disciples. Coming down this mountain is a little bit hard. And then it says in verse 14, they were come to the multitude. This is, to me is like where the rubber meets the road a little bit. This is where it kind of gets really hard. I mean, it was already hard in the valley. And by the way, there's a lily in the valley. His name is Jesus Christ. So just as much as he's in the mountaintop experiences, he's also in the valleys of life with us. But he says, and then he came to the multitude. If you follow Jesus' life, he's always with the multitude, it seemed like, or the multitude is always with him, and they're always following him. Now, it goes on to say this. It says that there was a certain man. There was a certain individual that was looking for Jesus Christ. Now, he remains nameless, but he was a father. He was a caregiver. He loved his son very much. And he sought after the things of the Lord. He sought after Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he's an obedient individual. Why? Because God gave power to the disciples to heal and to cast out demons. So he went to the disciples first. And then, when Jesus Christ came down the mountain, he met the multitude, he went right to Jesus Christ. He went to the only person who can give mercy. Oftentimes, when we're looking for direction in our life, we look to other people. Why we do that first, I'm not really, no, maybe it's because we're uh, short-sighted or short-minded, is that we don't maybe have the affections of Jesus Christ in our heart and mind. I don't know, for whatever reason, we often go to maybe the doctor first, or we often go to the psychiatrist first, or we often go to the, you know, whomever first, instead of going to the Lord first. Well, with that being said, is that this man received mercy from the Lord. And he spoke about his son, who often threw himself in the fire and often threw himself into the flood. This demon-possessed boy was being attacked, and he was trying to, well, the demon was trying to kill him. You know, Satan doesn't want you guys to grow as a church family. 
He doesn't want the Drinkard family in South Knoll to go into Kansas City to plant a church. He's going to provide distractions. He's going to provide things that, are, that try to derail us out of, in our lives. But we have to remain focused. We have to continue to go to the mercy giver. And that's what this certain man did. And we're going to be in floods. Have you ever felt the pressure of the water just surrounding you? It felt like the, you know, the things of life are just rising up, 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 and your nostrils are just barely above the surface of the water? Or you, you know, those fiery trials that we all go through. Those are needed. Just like we need to be cultivated in the valley, we have to go through those things. And, and we even hear about the dross being removed in these fiery temptations, fiery trials. But Jesus Christ is there. So the disciples could not exercise the power of God in their lives that Jesus Christ had given them. But Jesus Christ is at this point where he's like, oh, faithless and perverse generation. And you and I can look in our society and understand, hey, there's a faith, faithless and perverse generation. But it's not just the world, because sometimes the world comes into the church. And sometimes the world tries to look like the church. And there's inter intermingling. And that's, again, that's not biblical either. We can see that all throughout the New Testament as Paul's written. Okay, going on, moving forward. It says that Jesus rebuked the devil and it departed out of him. And then, then came the disciples to Jesus apart. Now, some theologians say that these disciples are, are the multitude that have been following him. Others say that this was nine. This was the other nine. You remember the three were up in the mountain, okay? They kind of get out a free jail card on that, on that situation. So he's talking maybe to the nine, or, or maybe it's just both. Maybe he has the nine disciples and the three and the, the rest of the multitude there, and everybody is there. And, and he speaks to them very direct. Oh, faithless and perverse generations, how long shall I be with you? And then as he starts to leave, after he rebukes the devil, or rebukes the, the demon, he starts to go away. The disciples come, off, come up to him apart, away from the multitude, and say, hey, why couldn't we do that? Now, to me, okay, this is just me. It sounds a little selfish. Because he didn't ask how the son was. He didn't ask, they didn't ask how the father was doing. They were more concerned about what they couldn't do after been giving the power from God. Oftentimes, we create our own obstacles in our own lives because we don't exercise the power of God that's been given to us as Christians. We would say maybe faithless. But he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence from yonder place, and it shall remove. Now, as driving around some of the mountains, sometimes you, or you're walking in mountains, and there's switchbacks, and it's work. And, and sometimes I'm driving, and I know there's a snowstorm coming, and we're about ready to go through a pass, and, and I want to conjure up a bunch of faith, and I want to think about, you know, mountain, remove. And then I open up my eyes, and it's still there. And I'm like, man, I must be faithless. I don't have enough faith to call out a mountain and be removed. No, that's not how it works. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to the disciples and he's saying, if you have this kind of faith. See that? Have you ever seen something like that before? He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, if you know what a seed tick is, you understand it's pretty small. This little seed here would get lost in its backpack. It's super tiny. See that? Very small. He's saying, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto the, to the mountain, remove hence to yonder place. 
Jesus Christ, I believe, was talking about probably the faithlessness that was in some of those disciples there. Saying that the least amount of faith is greater than the greatest amount of difficulty. Whatever difficulties, whatever mountains, whatever obstacles, whatever relationships, situations, circumstances, you name it, that are in your life that is derailing you from focusing on the Lord 110%, those are the things that need to be removed as you're exercising this just a little bit of faith. Now, can you, can you personally remove them? No, Jesus Christ can, though. But you have to acknowledge that in of yourself you cannot, and you have to go to the one who can. Jesus Christ. Caleb and Joshua went into the land of Canaan with the other ten spies. Ten of them said, no, we can't go in there because we are, but what, grasshoppers in the eyes of those guys, right? No, Caleb and Joshua said, God has already given that to us. All we have to do is go in and claim it. That was kind of a moment that Melissa and I were having, or more so me. You know, just like any other person who would be analytical, they create a pros and a cons list. And clearly going into a place like Leewood, Kansas, the cons outweighed the pros. There's no way we can go and do this thing. But I had to have a Caleb and Joshua moment in my life too. I say, no, the, the Lord has led us this far. There's peace within it. And as soon as we committed to that decision, man, it was like a washing of peace just right all over us. It was awesome. And then to go and tell the story to our pastor just to say, hey, listen, actually, before we took the church that voted us in 100%, we were like, Lord, would you have us to plant the church in this city? And then for him to be called at 100% of the church in which is our home church, and then to have a church planner actually go to that city, it's pretty awesome. Pretty amazing. The disciples, you could say that there was mountains in their lives, there was obstacles in their lives at that moment in time. Our tendency sometimes could be that in these circumstances, our vision is skewed. And we do something that's very simple, and you hear this all the time. We make mountains out of molehills. We take, we take something that is so simple, and we blow it up so big that it just seems like this huge giant in the land. It seems like this huge mountain that's in our way, but if we just had the teeniest little faith, the reality is that God would remove that for us. No, not, not you personally, even though he said that if we said remove yonder, that's if we're pursuing after Jesus Christ. He said, howbeit this could only come through prayer and fasting, which are exercises of faith in keeping Jesus Christ centered in our life, keeping him on the throne of our hearts. It was a certain man, a nobody, that went to Jesus Christ and had the power of God exercised in his son's life. Sometimes I feel like a nobody. As a matter of fact, I really kind of am. Yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. But sometimes in my flesh, I start to dwell on, on my um, insufficiencies, the inability to be able to do something. And I start to focus, and that's exactly where Satan wants me to go. But no, you have to step back and you have to realize, listen, I am the servant of the Most High God. There is the shed blood, the righteousness of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that is all over me that gives me access to go to the throne of grace, obtaining mercy. Just three quick things about the small things. Small things develop your fruitfulness. Jesus Christ said himself, He that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. But at the very end, he said in, in, this state, in this 
verse. He goes, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, which is wealth, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you can't be faithful in the little things, which God calls money the little things, how can you be committed or trusted with the true riches? What are true riches? I believe that they're souls. God doesn't call money a big thing. He calls money a small thing. I fall into this trap. I've fallen into this trap. Is that this is the idea of if I did all these spiritual things, then God would bless me with, with money. That's not it at all. Whatever money that the Lord has given me, or the unrighteous mammon, Right? Is that what I call it? Unrighteous mammon, yeah. Then if I'm faithful there, then God will bless me with the spiritual things. Secondly, is that the small things can produce the largest consequences or have the biggest impact, good or bad. If you think about an Adam, have you ever seen one? Not A-D-A-M, but A-T-O-M, Adam. No, no one has unless it's underneath a microscope. Now, if you cut that in half, of course, you're going to make it smaller, but what else will happen? Nuclear fission, right? Boom, huge boom. But if you think about some of the small things that God has used, like a stick, a staff, a rod, smoting a rock and water coming out, slapping the water and it being divided and a whole nation escapes. Same stick, it gets uh, thrown before the feet of Pharaoh and turns into a serpent. Just a stick. Defeating the armies of Amalek as it's being lifted up by Aaron and Hur. The power of God was in that stick. It wasn't a stick that was moving the mountains. It was God in that stick. Same thing with the stone. Little, little boy David picked up five little stones, and in one little stone he slung and won an entire nation. It wasn't that David did anything miraculous. No, it was the stone. But it was the faithfulness that David had to pick up that stone and put it in the sling and go before a man who was saying that this nation is too small. The reality is, is that that man was too small. A faithless man. Elijah, he you know, saw the tornado, he saw the fire, he saw the earthquake, he saw all these big, great, and grandeur things that was happening all around him, but God was in none of those things, but he was inside of the small, still voice. All those made huge, tremendous impacts in, in their life and, and in our lives as memorials. God cares about the small things. He didn't send a knight in shining armor. He didn't send a great governor or a king to save a nation. What did he do? He sent a little tiny baby, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God takes interest in the small things, and these small things have the greatest impact. He, Jesus Christ never you know, walked the big, broad highways. He walked the back pathways. He was always holding the hands of little children. He feeds the sparrow and clothes the lily. He takes interest in the small things, and he certainly takes interest in his children, in you and I. And he can use the willing and faithful servant to make a large impact in the kingdom. God can use what you have, or more so God can just use you. And lastly, the big things are the sum total of the small things. You think, what does that mean? Well, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. There's key preparation in every single one of us. We all have a story. So did David. He was being trained in the back pastures to be able to take a nation, to be able to be the man after God's own heart. Little Timothy from a blended home or a broken home, reared by his mom and his grandma to replace his probably the greatest missionary second to Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul. You think about these godly men and you think about 12, 12 little ruffians 
if I could say it like that. Twelve disciples that received from Jesus Christ the foundational principles in which we live by to evangelize this whole known world, creating disciples for Jesus Christ. Listen, if you would please just bow your head and close your eyes. My time has expired, but I do want to let you know that we've probably met people that are too big for God to use. 